like pointing to oh well in the 60s they did this and why don't we why don't we just do it better right mm-hmm. <laughs> um we're gonna we're gonna show how some of this stuff like evolved into the terrible yeah like homunculus that the american healthcare <laughs> system is and i don't think that we'll get super far in just this episode this might be like you part know, one <laughs> when there's yeah. like a slow other than you know obviously the like uh I don't know what happened this weekend. Like, there's a GW professor who's the new Rachel Dolezal, and Trump did his little, um, or the Trump administration did their like, uh, you can't talk about critical race theory <laughs> <Right>. thing. <laughs> so, like, you know, obviously it's not totally a slow news time, but we're taking we're taking Labor Day, yeah, <laughs> to to start our sort of reflection on how exactly our weird healthcare system came to be right. in the United States. And mm-hmm. I think it's that's a very good point, Ernie, because I think it's important. Um, like one of the things that I get asked uh, so often that I wish I could sort of like tattoo an answer on my forehead in response is, you know, how do we combat the idea that this is impossible, that, that you know, mm-hmm. federal universal single payer is impossible. And sometimes that's a pay for question. And sometimes that's an ideological question. And sometimes that's a question about the structure of federalism. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, I think that the, you know, the problem is there's no short answer. And the, the long answer is an explanation of how we got here. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So in 1601, the Elizabethan Poor Laws. <laughs> it all began on the Mayflower. Although, although fun fact, that was uh, the Elizabethan Poor Laws were the first laws to distinguish between uh, the deserving uh, and undeserving. Yeah, the able-bodied poor and the quote impotent poor. Ah, but um, I'm an impotent poor. You are. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Um, the low T poor. <laughs> <laughs> um, Actually, yeah, I'm quite high T apparently. The, so I, <laughs> maybe I, I have a biological way to push back against my impotence. Now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well. I'm not a scholar of this, but I don't know if that's going to be a winning argument. <laughs> <laughs> but like the, 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 pro- I think what maybe at one place to start is like often the way that this whole question gets framed is like entirely wrong. And like, like let we, we have to like change. So like the, the way the question often gets framed is like, why don't we have national health insurance mm-hmm. in the United States? Right. That's yeah. like the general. And like when I was like in grad school, that's like the there's like this paper that is it is overly assigned. It's overly cited because it it reads well and it there's like a simple enough argument in it. And the name of the paper is borrowing from James Carville. Uh, it's the institutions stupid. Oh, no. my. And the, the <laughs> argument is basically we don't have national health insurance in the United States because of the separation of powers. Ah. And like these veto points. Now, like, is it the case that veto points and like the filibuster and separation of powers make it hard to like do things generally? Yes. Does it explain why we don't have national health insurance? No, because it can't (laughs) tell us why we have the system that we have. Because at some point they have to start explaining why do we have Medicare at all then? And the answer is like, well, (laughs) no, that's it. That's the answer. The answer is always. (laughs) (laughs) I would say I would say there's one there's one piece of prehistory that I'd like to add to this. So so much like in 60. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, so other than other than, um, uh, you know, some like whatever pieces that will probably 
be bringing to this from like other stuff that we may know. A lot of this we're going to much like I think the the uh, post that I did on health and capital. We're going to look to um, this really good uh, piece by Jill Quadagno. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Called uh, what is it? Why there is no why the United States has no national health insurance. Right. So this I guess would be this basically this looks from uh, the the period sort of like the the like late 1930s into the 90s in terms of the various interest groups wrangling over mm-hmm. um, this, but. I would just like to point out one piece of uh, sort of prehistory because this sort of starts, we're going to sort of start out like after, a t- like we're not going to go into basically like, well, there was a period where the, the, the doctors would, would go from town to town selling tonics, <laughs> or so, you know, we're not going to go into that shit, but like, um, there, I will say immediately sort of preceding this in like, I'd say the, the tens and the twenties, um, I do want to point out a really interesting figure uh, named Frederick Hoffman. Never heard of Do you of guys him. know about this guy? No. At all? no. Say you more. named it me. So uh, Frederick Hoffman was a German immigrant mm-hmm. and uh, went around and, and spoke the gospel of like uh, talk, talk, speaking out against what was called um, compulsory insurance, mm. as in, you know, the, mm. the dangers of socialized medicine, etc. Um, he actually started as an insurance salesman. Oh. I guess. Uh, <laughs> and. Do. Uh, in in like the twenties, he uh, he wrote such things that he wrote a, a pamphlet called Facts and Fallacies. He was a statistician. Mm, um, cool. He, and he wrote, uh, <laughs> "quote Essentially, all conceptions of compulsory health and invalidity insurance rest upon alien governmental theories, more or less opposed to American ideals of liberty and democracy." Such institutions might be appropriate for European nations with entrenched uh, class systems, but not in classless America. In this country, no such class has any real existence, theoretical or actual. Um, <laughs> so, oh. this, so, and what's funny is actually that America would be yeah. tight. Um, yeah, that would be great, honestly. <laughs> actually, if it uh, the, if it could ever clearly the America that he was it? talking about was a different America on a different planet that sounds way more awesome. Yeah, what, right. what year was this again? Uh, that that was like in the 1920s. Oh, so he is probably also involved in the eugenics movement. Though. He <laughs> was, in fact. Statistician in the 20s, mm-hmm. you would yeah. be. In fact, he, uh, he became part <laughs> of every the... rock. <laughs> he became part of the eugenics movement after publishing uh, a... How to, how to put it? A, a, a contemporaneous classic of race science, Ah. um, which was a a very influential book. Uh, he published in 1896. Uh, again, this is, um, Frederick Hoffman, uh, (laughs) published in 1896, a book titled race traits and tendencies of the American Negro, um, Ah. in which he essentially basically, which then prolific catalog of (laughs) text this guy's written. (laughs) Um, but um, among other things, this is, uh, this book, the, uh, the, you know, race, race traits, uh, book, um, his like, you know, again, literally foundational eugenics text mm-hmm. for uh, mm-hmm. American eugenics movement. Um, this book was the reason that, uh, Prudential later hired him to write <laughs> a text yeah. showing statistically why it was a bad idea to have national health insurance. So anyway, oh my God. <laughs> so- Hello, this is Daniel Beatrice's screen reader program. Support us at patreon.com slash death panel pod to hear the full episode 
and get access to patron-only content. With love, the death panel.